It's not like you look right and left and you see great assets at 70 cents on a dollar at a seven or eight percent cap. These deals do, do not exist. And if the feds are going to cut rates, it's actually going to make, in my opinion, sellers are keep going to hold, they're, they're going to hold their assets because why let go of it now? Let's get ready to scale. Welcome to Ready to Scale. I'm Ellie Perlman, your host broadcasting from Boston, Massachusetts. I have with me Jeanette Robinson and Ryan Rosletsky, and um, we are going to have interesting topics to talk about today. And, you know, you probably noticed a few months ago, we started to switch it up because we thought that investors wanted to hear from us directly about what we see in the market, how we operate behind the scenes and all that good stuff. Uh, and and uh, I apologize in advance if you hear a tiny dog barking. Well, actually, it sounds like a big dog. This is one of the days we're actually working from home. Um, we have, you know, we have an office. We go to the office three times a week. Today is the day I'm actually working from home and uh, my dog feels a bit threatened. Not sure what's going on, you know, out there. All right. We'll try to power through it, move forward. So today we're actually going to talk about family offices. And uh, this is a topic that is very close to me. We are actually affiliated with a family office um, and wanted to talk about what family offices are doing right now and why it's so important to learn from what they're doing. Um, we also you know, invest with family offices and just to give you a, a little bit of context, so family offices are can be single family offices, meaning a family office, uh, you know, several employees that serve only one family, or multi-family offices, which is not multi-family uh, assets, but um, it, it's essentially a few uh, families gathered together, hiring uh, a team of professionals to manage their their money and their assets. And usually we're talking about families that manage about a hundred million in investable assets and above. And in the U.S., um, there's between six to seven thousand family offices. Um, and you know, I've always thought that it's super important to uh, to listen to what they have to say and to look at what they're doing and analyze their moves because you really, as an investor, you really want to learn from the wealthiest when it comes to investments at least the wealthiest families the wealthiest individuals because if they've done it then they know what they're doing and it's probably wise for you to look at what they're doing now as a disclaimer we're not an investment <clears throat> advisor um and everyone should of course uh consult with their attorney cpa investment advisor we're just sharing um you know, our, our own perspective. So I uh, wanted to actually uh, hand, hand the mic over to Ryan to tell us, you know, what's going on in the market? What are family offices, you know, what are they doing right now? Yeah, it's it's interesting you mentioned that the differentiation between a single family office and a multifamily office, because in theory, they're fundamentally the same investment managers or 
they're, they're essentially the same investment professionals and offices. However, when you pool your resources together in a multifamily office, you become a lot more sophisticated. You have, you have better systems, you have better processes, and, and more sophisticated people that are allowing you to make more direct investments, So, which is a, a real focus point for family offices, both on the single and multifamily side. However, what we found is for the first time in the, in the family office surveys history, there's actually a higher percentage of allocation going into the private markets relative to public, so stocks, bonds, and, and anything that trades on the open market. And, and what's interesting to note there is it, it's the, the S&P this year has rallied. There, it's Year to date, it's up 20%. However, family offices are starting to reallocate and pivot knowing that, okay, inflation's coming down, the Fed's hiked rates aggressively. So now it's a point in time where we need to diversify our portfolio. We need to adjust to changing economic conditions. And coming in now that we're in December, heading into the new year, um, now there's speculation about rate cuts. So all of these factors and, and all of these macroeconomics is, is requiring family offices to pivot and adjust their strategies. And one thing to note is it's historically... Um, the overall sentiment is the public markets outperform. If, if you get into the S&P and, and you start running up um, a, a decade bull run, the market's going to start contracting. And what, what's, what the sentiment is for the multifam multifamily office space is that the private markets ought to offer better risk-adjusted returns without the volatility of stocks. So they're now shifting into private equity, venture capital, and even private debt, which has historically been a small percentage of their portfolio. Um, and, and as I mentioned, the multifamily office space, now that they have the resources, they're actually making more direct investments through qualified sponsors instead of going through fund managers to find alpha. So it's, it's really interesting from that perspective. And then most notably, one of the trends we're finding, as I'm sure you can relate to knowing that we're affiliated with a family office, is 90% of real estate investors that made their fortune through real estate are increasing their allocation in that asset class. And the alternative investment space is the highest percentage of alternative investments for real estate relative to any of the others that multifamily family offices are now allocating their portfolio to. So those are really distinct trends. Um, and one thing we noticed as well is four out of 10 family offices plan to increase their allocation to private equity funds from everything from real estate to healthcare to technology. So there's going to be a lot more liquidity in the market in 2024. And we'll talk about the future investment outlook and, and how that kind of correlates to the real estate space uh, momentarily. But just some high level anecdotes is um, coming into the new year, there, there's a lot of liquidity and it's going to be deployed this year. But as you know, it's discretionary capital. There's, there's no time frame where these family offices are, are flush with cash and they're just waiting for the right opportunity to deploy. But it's coming up in Q1, Q2 of this year. Yeah, um, you know, it's it's really interesting what you're saying, because family offices, the way that they think is a bit different than the average investor. So the average investor out there wants to get immediate return. They want to see money coming in, you know, into their bank every day uh, or I'm sorry, every day. That would be nice. But every month or every quarter, family offices, they play by different set of rules. They are not that concerned about how much money they're making in the short term. So they're because they're trained to think about generational wealth. How can I take the money that I have right now and keep growing it? So 
I'm growing that wealth for generations to come. They're not very focused on, am I making 5% or 7% this year? They're looking at an investment as a whole and they have, that's what's called patient capital. So even if it takes five or seven or 10 years, usually they would like some sort of income throughout that period. Um, but it's essentially, you know, they're focused on the equity multiple, the IRR, how much money is made by the end of the investment, by the end, even if they had to wait for cash to come in, even if it was lower in the first, you know, couple of years. And um, that's what really differentiates them from any other investor. And again, these are the, the, the richest, wealthiest, most successful families in the U.S. So definitely something to learn from them. Yeah, it's a great point, Ellie. It's it's preservation of capital, return on capital, right? So it, it's all about the preser preservation component. So as you mentioned, they go into private debt and they go into other alternative investment vehicles that provide current yield. But in the long run, they're really looking to promote that generational wealth. They're trying to retain their equity, build their equity. So they're looking at all in returns. So when, when they're talking about diversification, they're taking those coupon payments from their lower risk investment vehicles and then reinvesting those in a little bit more higher risk, whether it's in the private equity, the real estate space, and, and that's ultimately how they're funding their strategy. And that's pretty universal. I mean, obviously, some, most family offices are, are focused on the actual preservation piece where others might also be focusing on being able to fund their business, being able to fund their lifestyle, being able to fund um, everything they do on a monthly basis, but while still growing that wealth. And, you know, I'm going to chime in and say that it's interesting to note, because uh, I was, you know, reading a portion of this report, Ryan, that we're talking about today. And, you know, part of the, uh, the drive behind family offices getting more focused on, you know, private equity and real estate in particular is the decrease in the volatility that we're seeing in venture capital. So there's just not as many startup companies, um, you know, available to be able to invest in now that, you know, have, have unfortunately had to close the doors and have not made it through this last year. And so it's interesting to see that uh, factor is also coming into play, you know, in helping them shift kind of their investment strategy. But what I was going to touch on before, too, is something that Ellie said about patient capital, because it's really interesting this past week. I was speaking with a, an investor, uh, just, you know, your average, you know, regular investor. And uh, I got a little bit of uh, pushback on the price per door of, you know, one of the recent assets that we actually closed on. And the same, the very same week, I spoke with the family office and they didn't have any concern whatsoever about the price per door because their focus is not the price per door now. It's what they know it's going to be worth later. Because again, they're looking at that big picture and the overall returns as a whole. And I think it's just really you know, helpful information for people to reflect on that when we are making our own investment strategies and learning to become more sophisticated in how we view, you know, our investments. Yeah, that's a, a very, very interesting point. And when, you know, family offices, when they um, look at the options that they have in front of them right now, so obviously they're all about diversification. And when it comes to, um, staying liquid versus investing for the long term, um, and you know they're they're looking at it this way. They there's of course real estate, which is I, I don't even know a single family office that um, avoids investing in in real estate. Um, you know, general speaking, over the over time, but of course there's some allocation to real estate, and some families like more real estate, some families don't like 
you know, to allocate that much to real estate, but real estate is almost always there. And then you have, um, you know, all the liquid uh, market-based investments and some of them, some of those family offices, they'll, you know, put some money in the stock market just to have something there to, you know, to be liquid, to remain liquid. And then the other bucket, usually the third bucket besides equities, um, is uh, the, the VC, you know, VC and, and uh, companies, it could be startups, mature companies, whatever that is. And yes, Jim, Jeanette, you're right. There's fewer companies and startups that start right now. However, I would actually say that this is kind of the best time to invest in in uh, in tech, whatever allocation you have in tech. Um, and I know, you know, I'm, I'm all in for, you know, real estate. Most of my wealth is tied in real estate. Um, but really the companies that start now and are able to raise money are the absolute best of the best. Because if you think about the last few years, every, you know, two people behind a desk working out of WeWork could raise, you know, five, 10, three, whatever they were raising. Um, and right now that's not the case. You also have the secondaries market. So there's a lot of interesting things happening there. And I see, uh, companies, you know, allocate, um, at least more of their attention into that, but it looks like, and, and we're going to have, uh, you know, our next topic is talking about the feds, um, you know, uh, uh, interest rate cuts, the potential interest rate cuts. Um, some family offices are already starting to look into that and say, well, if rates are going to go down in 2024, then that means that we actually want to increase the allocation, um, well, on the flip side, you know, there's also interesting deals out there, distressed assets um, and some deals that are actually doing great above the line, meaning above the net operating income line in the income statement. But their debt makes it, you know, very, very hard to keep, you know, going to maintain, you know, cash flow to investors. So some of those investments are back in the market and family offices are waiting for those deals. I have to say, you know, I kept saying it for I think probably 18 months now that everyone was waiting for a rain of um fire sales. And I keep saying, guys, I don't think you're gonna see this rain. They're gonna be they're gonna be some deals. There's always distress deals at any, you know, given year. I don't think that's what's gonna happen. It definitely did not happen in 2023. There are some deals that are distressed, and we see it. You know, Ryan is on the acquisitions team. Uh, he's getting the phone calls from brokers telling him, you know, we have uh, a, a deal that we have to sell in the next, you know, 30, 60, whatever days, off markets, you know, quick rounds, you're on the short list. We definitely receive those offers, uh, those opportunities, but it's not like you look right and left and you see great assets at 70 cents on a dollar at a seven or 8% cap. These deals do, do not exist. And if the feds are going to cut rates, it's actually going to make, in my opinion, sellers are keep going to hold, they're, they're going to hold their assets because why let go of it now? Right now, anyone who sells, it's only those who absolutely have to sell because they're losing money and they have, they're getting pressure, you know, from their investors. But back to family offices, they're also, looking at this, they see that for two years, 
nothing really happened in the market. They weren't able to buy assets unless, you know, and I'm talking about multifamily. I'm putting aside the discussion about office um, and, and whether there's opportunities there because we can definitely pick up an office at 50, 60, 70 cents on the dollar. I'm not talking about those opportunities. I'm talking about multifamily. Those deals are not there. And I think there's a realization amongst family offices and institution looking at their finances, financials for um, 2023, realizing the loss of potential, you know, income and uh, wealth, um, you know, growth potential. And I do believe there's going to be a significant amount of capital being deployed in 2024, which is going to put more pressure on, on cap rates, uh, which is good news for yeah. sellers. Ellie, I, I agree with everything you just said. I mean, when, when you actually look back in 2022, um, family offices weren't buying because they're not buying at the peak of the market. It didn't make sense for them at the time. As you mentioned, they have patient capital. They're looking for the right opportunity, not volume per se. Um, but then coming into this year, transaction volume down. And, and I'm really focusing specifically on the real estate space. Um, so all these family offices that do allocate to real estate didn't have the opportunity over the last 24 months. However, now that they are seeing this type of future outlook um, and they have so much cash on their balance sheet, I mean, cash and cash equivalents made up um, record numbers of, of their, their investment uh, portfolio. So it was almost 10%. Think back last quarter, it was about 11, 12% of their entire portfolio. And 35% of those family offices that were surveyed expect to deploy that and reduce that exposure to cash or, or highly liquid assets over the next 12 months. Now is the time to do it. And th there's continued emphasis and allocation to develop markets such as the U.S., knowing that the economy might go into a contraction. 41% uh, of family office offices expect to increase their U.S.-based exposure, and a lot of them specific to real estate. I mean, there, there's new deliveries, so there's merchant developers that are delivering great product at a basis. Um, and we're going to see, so the way I see this year kind of playing out is exactly what you said. It's it's no question that we are receiving receiving more off-market, what I would define as distressed assets compared to last year. However, we, we haven't seen that volume that everybody's been speaking about, um, but there there is more pent-up demand because transaction volume was down 65, 70% this entire year. So all those groups that that were able to hold back this year, I believe will start reallocating their portfolio into 2024 as well, because exactly what you said, if if feds do, if, or if economists do think that feds are going to start dropping rates, things are going to be more uh, affordable from, from the capital markets perspective and, and sellers, to be honest, have started to meet the market. It's the buyers at this point that has more um, return expectations for their equity. So that it's, it's almost that bid-ass spread that we've always been talking about. At the beginning of this year, it was sellers that wouldn't come to terms. Now it's buyers not willing to come up to sellers' expectations, even though that has um, been revised over the last six to, to nine months, really over the last three quarters. So, uh, But I do think from a family office perspective, there, there's going to be a high allocation in healthcare, technology, and real estate because they're, they're still priorities because they've historically outperformed the market during various economic cycles. So those are the three types of private equity investments that I think will kind of lead the way into 2024. All right, Jeanette, you know, I, any final yes. notes, any final remarks? Yes, I was going to say, I can confirm this uh, simply because of what I do, you know, all day, every day. 
So it's really interesting, um, not to be corny, but we're going into winter, but I feel like I'm coming into spring because I, it's like, I can honestly see this happening right in front of my face. Uh, basically everyone that's been quote hibernating for this entire year is slowly coming back awake and alive. And so it's been really interesting because not only have I had uh, several conversations recently with family offices, but also just, you know, our average retail investors as well are starting to, you know, wake up and start to ask about, hey, deal flow. Hey, you know, looking to get into the game again, looking for some action. What do you guys have? So it's just really interesting, you know, seeing kind of that pause, people sitting on the sideline, but it's really been very evident to me in the last couple of weeks, especially that the appetite has really started to return and people are eager for the opportunities that they're expecting to come on, you know, online and they're, they're looking to get themselves positioned. So on was that, that game, was that a game of Thrones reference? I know we have a, a striking resemblance of Khaleesi in the, in the bottom right corner here, but um, it, it's winter heading into spring. Where, where, where are you going with that? Jeanette? I'm telling you, man, it's, it's a, it's a very exciting thing to see. It's warming my heart. I guarantee you. Winter is not coming. <laughs> we actually just made it through winter more than likely. We don't know for sure, right, where we are in the cycle, but that's why you remain disciplined and just continue yeah. to invest through every portion of the cycles that we go through, because you're not going to know when you hit the bottom until it's already behind you. And with that, I am going to say just to our listeners, don't forget that we do have our newly launched Blue Lake Multifamily Fund. So if you are waking up like some of these family offices that are getting eager to deploy their capital into next year, and if you're an individual investor, um, the minimum is only 50000 but we're really excited for the opportunities that are going to come online. And now really is the time for us to come together, build up the fund, and be ready to deploy it. It helps us in a number of ways. We can negotiate better. We can close faster and all of that's a win for investors. So uh, if you'd like more details, make sure you go to the website, bluelake-capital.com. Absolutely. And just one thing uh, I will um, add that uh, for the investors that are going to join the Blue Lake Multifamily Fund, you're going to gain um, a, a time-limited um, you know, access to a mastermind that I'm going to lead. It's actually going to be the first one. Um, I usually don't do a master. I don't hold masterminds. And um, in this one, I'm going to talk about, um, you know, starting and scaling real estate businesses um, and uh, the challenges that we had to go through and how you balance it all and achieve the American dream, which is not two kids and you know a dog and a white fence anymore it's retiring early doing what you love spending you know time more time with your loved ones and doing that while investing passively and keep growing your wealth so we're going to talk about that going to um you know talk about um how I you know did it how I got there uh and also about real estate so we're going to talk about what you know, other opportunity, what opportunities are out there, how we see the market kind of share some insights and a little bit of our secret sauce on how we see, how we underwrite deals, how we get deals um, and share what's going on around us when it comes to asset performance and competition and all that good stuff um, that we usually, you know, don't talk about in public. So it's going to give you um, a, an insight into how um, a multifamily firm operates 
Um, and so this is this is all going to be very exciting uh, to us. So if you are interested in that mastermind uh, and you're interested in joining the multifamily fund, the mastermind is only open to Blue Lake Capital investors. So that is uh, your opportunity to join and meet other investors and uh, and interact with me directly. So with that, I said it's like a two for one. So basically, you know, people actually pay basically that amount for mastermind courses. And in this case, you actually get the benefit of, the, of getting to invest in real estate, multifamily real estate, and you get enriched. So I think it's a great idea. Okay, don't go anywhere. We're going to come back after this very short break. Uh, and we're going to talk about the feds, Powell, what are you doing? What are you going to stop, you know, cutting rates? We're going to talk about all these fun things when we come back. Ready to Scale is brought to you by Blue Lake Capital, where we hunt down the best multifamily investment opportunities that we can find and invite investors to join in with us. We target Class B value-add multifamily properties across the Sun Belt. Our CEO, Ellie Perlman, invests a substantial amount of capital into every deal. This means our interests are aligned with yours. If you're an accredited investor looking to expand your portfolio and diversify sponsors, be sure to visit us at bluelake-capital.com. Blue Lake Capital, be bold, be extraordinary, and keep moving forward. Okay, thank you for staying with us. Ryan, take it from here. Yeah, so Powell, Feds, any of the Fed Fed officials, they are still taking the approach of higher for longer. They they haven't necessarily seen a deterioration in the economy that requires a rate cut. However, we are in December at this point. We are talking about 2024. There's an election coming up. So ING's economists and, and research mark, market research analysts expect the feds to cut six times in 2024, which really won't start until the back half of the year because ultimately the, the cuts are going to be a response to a slowing U.S. economy which is clearly showing signs of deceleration. However, we're not quite there yet. And a lot of the feds are saying, and, and, and chief economists really won't see rate cuts until you start to see a true deterioration in the economy. So, and what I mean by that is you really need to see the recessionary indications where unemployment, for example, is, is down 3.7 from 3.9 over last month. New, new job starts have slowed down. However, there's still a resilient labor market. So we haven't quite gotten there yet. However, like I said, if, if they're expecting six rate cuts in 2024, that's approximately, they were talking about 25 basis points a piece. That's approximately 150 basis points all throughout the next year, which is really going to be heavy towards the back half of the year. However, when you actually think about that, everybody's cheering for rate cuts. However, the economy needs to turn. So there, there's a, a fundamental economic issue that could have to take place before rates start to come down. And that's really the stance the feds have made. But yet rates can be cut towards the back half of next year. That might not even be felt until the early part of 2025. So there's a lot of speculation. And then, as I mentioned, the, the economic indicators that they're looking at is moderating inflation. So we're down to about 3.2%, coming off a high of 9% in June 2022. So there's been a tremendous stride 
from where we were approximately summer of last year. And then the cooling jobs market. So unemployment ticking up, new job openings declining. All of this needs to happen before rates start to come down. And the labor market, as I mentioned, has been resilient in the face of these headwinds. I mean, household incomes up approximately 4% on a, an adjusted basis compared to 3.2% on inflation. So that we just haven't seen enough in the job markets just yet, but we do anticipate that to come down. Um, but then one of the most important factors that many people don't really speak about is when you're looking at the historical trends is when you look in the rally of the public markets, as I mentioned earlier in this session, is the S&P is up about 20% year to date. Looking back, so heading into 2020 or 2001, 20, 2008, 2020's recession, if you want to actually call that a recession, um, the, the stock market rally was double digits the same way it is this year before you started to see the economy contract. So this is another indication. And as we just mentioned with the family office spaces, they're identifying these trends because they're seeing the rally in the stock market. Yet, why do they have more allocation in the private markets? Because they're preparing for, for some type of contraction in the economy. How extreme that's going to be, we'll have to find out in the early part of 2024 will be very telling as job reports come out and then leading into quarter quarter two as well. So that that's kind of the the, the basis for the the discussion or the research that we've we've been hearing about rate cuts into twenty twenty four. Yeah, and you know we talked about it before, but what we do at Blue Lake, we actually have the entire portfolio underwritten every month, and Ryan is the one actually leading it. Um, and we look at the properties, each property's operations, income, expenses, NOI, debt, and the current cap rates at each um you know in each market each sub market and we're thinking is it what should we do should we keep holding the assets should we refinance or should we exit and we will exit before the five-year mark if we can hit or exceed investors uh projected returns or get even you know close to that and so any change it's really interesting to see how any change in um cap rates can actually impact the you know the value of the asset and, and the amount of money that you can get um, at sales. So um, the difference between four percent cap and five percent cap can be night and day, can be millions of dollars. And so that's why it makes sense to wait until you feel it's the right time to exit before um, cap rates expand and increase. And of course, it's it's a fine balance because. If you wait six or 12 more months and you are right now at a 4% cap, in 12 months, 4% cap can turn into a 5% or 4.5% market. So you will not be able to sell your asset at a 4% cap anymore. However, in those 12 months, your NOI, net operating income, can increase. So the bottom line could be that even with a higher cap rate, you can sell the asset at a, a you know higher profit margin and a higher amount, but you can never know what your NOI is going to be 12 months from now or what the cap rates could be. You can guesstimate and assess where and set targets to where you want your NOI to be in a year, but it's very hard to know where cap rates are going to be. So two years ago, three years ago, cap rates were 3%. Three and a half percent. I personally passed on an asset, 1970 vintage in Atlanta. Great 
you know, market, but the asset was really old and we usually don't buy 1970 vintage. I flew out there to see it because it was in such a strong market. And I'm walking in an asset that has wallpaper. They had tenants from the 70s and the 80s that never left. And so um, very interesting asset was traded at, I believe it was 2.7 or 2.6 cap, which is insane because they had to put a, an adjustable rate, floating rate debt on the asset. Maybe it was close to 3% back then. I can guarantee you it's not 3% now. So I don't know what how this asset is doing. Um, but just uh, that was just an interesting anecdote. Um, and when it really when it comes to the Fed's uh, rate, you know, cutting rates, that's going to impact real estate in so many aspects. So from an acquisition standpoint, and we're, I don't think we're going to go back to 3%, you know, uh, interest rates anytime soon. But when you have $20 million in equity, several years ago, you could buy 70 to $80 million asset because interest rates were low and lenders were able to loan you know, money at 70, 75% uh, LTV. Now with a $20 million in equity, you're looking at around 45 million, 50 million in acquisitions. So Ryan, tell me if if um if my numbers are off, but this is what what we see right now from from our side of the yeah, country. that's that's exactly right. And, and to your point, so with with lower LTVs, and it, it's back in 2021, 2022, If you're going to put fixed rate agency debt, you're you're LTC LTV and LTC constrained. Whereas now we're debt service constrained because rates yeah. are so high and, and pricing hasn't adjusted. So it, it's we could get to 65, 70% LTV, but they're trading at 55 based on where, where leverage is today. So exactly what you said is, is the equity check is so much more substantial. And then you look at pulling a, a, a large equity source like the family office market out of the market, you're, you're gonna you're gonna see more more difficulty with the capital raise. But couple this upcoming year with declining rates and then more of that liquidity getting put back into the market, that's where you're going to see, I, I believe, a more cap rate decompression uh, or excuse me, cap rate compression, not expansion, compression, because you have these these forces, liquidity going into the market, cheaper cost of capital, and ultimately it's going to be a, a more competitive bidding process, which is going to drive cap rates down. To your point, I don't think interest rates are going to be 3%. I don't think you're going to see workforce housing in, in Sunbelt markets at three and a quarter relative to core deals trading at three and a half. That spread I don't think will ever come back. And I, I hope it doesn't because that that's going to really create turmoil in the industry. But yeah, everything you just said is, is what we're seeing and what we're preparing for in, in the upcoming year. So when we're looking at the exit model and, and the portfolio, portfolio planning, we're focusing on asset management at this point. To your point, we can't dictate where cap rates are today. However, we, we can focus on the fundamentals of the asset. So once the capital markets comes back to some level of normalcy, which I believe it will in 2024, we'll be in a great position to truly reevaluate the portfolio and determine what's best for our investors. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to just kind of chime in here and say, you know, for investors that are looking at interest rates and wondering how it's going to impact their current portfolios, I think it's really important to understand that as interest rates, you know, begin to go down, that will take some pressure off of the assets. 
but not to the extent that most people are probably hoping. Um, and the reality is, is, you know, a lot of the deals that were financed, you know, several years ago with these variable rate loans, uh, you know, many of them, of course, have a cap in place, but those caps are generally around 2%. So unless we are actually seeing interest rates drop, you know, sub 2%, that's not really going to ease the pressure off of the cash flow of existing assets in most portfolios right now. So, you know, I just want to kind of throw that in there. So from the acquisition standpoint, rates coming down is a wonderful thing. But I just want to, you know, to make sure that investors understand that for their existing portfolios, you know, unless we see a, just a dramatic drop in the rates, you know, below again, like 2%, you know, it's not really going to take the pressure off of current assets. Great point. Yep, absolutely. Between expenses, um, you know, salaries, insurance costs, there's there's a lot going on um, in, you know, with assets, generally speaking, across across the board and, you know, definitely across many uh, U.S. markets, probably worldwide, if I were to guess. We don't own anything um, in, you know, outside the U.S., but if I were to guess, that that would be it. Um, anything else that we want to add? I mean, obviously, I think, you know, I do expect the feds to cut rates. I'm hoping that's going to happen soon. If I were to bet, I would say that cap rates, not interest rates, but cap rates are going to go down to four to four and a half percent before Q3. Um, and we're waiting for that because once that happens, um, that will be, uh, an interesting opportunity for us to exit some of the deals that we've been holding um, just based on cap rates. And it's interesting, I think most people and investors assume that there is a linkage between a direct correlation between cap rates and interest rates. Um, but I actually, and that's what I thought from, because my experience in real estate is every time interest rates went down, cap rates went down, but that was a function of the increase in demand um, to ask the real estate uh, and multifamily in specific. I read somewhere and I can find it, um, research that proved that there's actually no correlation between interest rates and cap rates. And uh, I'll find it. Um, and I can, if I do, I'll, I'll share it in the in the show notes. Um, but it's it's it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I, I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of capital flowing into multifamily uh, in 2024, and I've said it before. It feels like it feels like June of 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 2020 all over again. It feels like early COVID days. Nobody, it's the shock, right? Nobody was investing. We're the only crazy people. One of the fewest crazy uh, people in town who were buying assets at that point. We've exited them. Um, had you know great. Uh, 45 and above, you know, net IR to investors, because we, you know, I, I still believed in the fundamental of multifamily. And if you think about it right now, it's what's happening. The issue is with the debt. It's not, there's no issue from what I see um, when it comes to the demand to multifamily, that is just increasing. Um, there's some softening in, in rent increases in several markets, um, not across the board. Um, which is something that obviously it's, it's the winter right now, technically. So this is something that is cyclical. Um, but generally speaking, I don't see the multifamily slowing down, not in the next, you know, decade or so. 
Um, any any uh, final kind of closing remarks, Ryan? Well, one thing, Ellie, you know, we, we didn't speak about when we were talking about the, the economy and, and the projected rate cuts coming in. The, the reason another reason or contributing factor, aside from unemployment still remaining pretty steady, um, inflation cooling, but we didn't talk about consumer spending, which is really interesting, which is why a lot of groups and, and economists don't believe that the early part of next year will be the first rate cut. And the reason being is consumer spending is still strong, despite the major headwinds that are that are kind of leading indicators into 2024, like disposable household income showing some level of weakness, credit card in, in credit card balances and delinquencies are increasing. Um, student loan repayments are going to be resuming as of this past quarter, so into a full calendar year. Um, but one thing that economists start to believe is that the consumer spending strength is has really been fueled by a depletion of savings and the use of debt, which is really distorting the data, and that consumers are actually spending at an unhealthy manner. And, and one, one example of this is Black Friday, online sales were recent, re, recently released, and it was nearly 10 billion, I think it was like 9.8 or $9.9 billion, which was up 7.5% compared to last year's on, online sales during Black Friday. But the concern, or $80 million of those sales, consumers opted for the buy now pay layer flexibility, which is up 47% year over year. So the question becomes, do they actually have these funds? Is consumer spending on the surface exactly what it is, or, or should we take it with face value? Or are they deferring payments uh, because savings are starting to be depleted based on the inflation that we saw over the last 18 months? So that that's another component that we're watching very specifically, and so are the feds. The feds are really pointing to, like I mentioned, all of these indicators, but the, the data supports holding rates where they are today, but we'll, we'll see what happens. But that, that's just one last remark is the, the consumer spending. I'm always interested to see what happens in Q4 and, and, and the result of Black Friday, which is, is fundamentally a, a, a reflection of the economy's strength from a consumer's perspective. You know, Ryan, one theory I read about was they were actually calling it doom spending, being that everyone is convinced that, you know, that things are going to shift in the economy and things are going to get worse. This is obviously not experts in the field, but, you know, kind of the general population. So they were calling it doom spending based, uh, according to this one article that I read, where consumers know that, hey, man, this was a good run. All that free money we got, you know, not having to pay student loans was great. And essentially, they know that things have to shift and things will change. And so it was kind of like the the last hurrah, according to one of the uh, articles that I read. Interesting. All right. Awesome. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Janet. That was uh, another great discussion. Um, and again, if you're interested in joining my mastermind or investing in the Bullock Multifamily Fund, reach out to us we're going to show we're going to share some links in the uh in the show notes and until then guys thank you for staying with us Jeanette Ryan it's been a pleasure as always always fun to work with you guys uh, and to you the listeners I hope that uh, that was interesting and engaging um and uh you know it's very interesting a very interesting times you're actually you're living history right now it's definitely something to to tell your kids and grandkids uh around uh the holiday season five years 10 years 20 years from now thank you guys for your time 
Listeners, be bold, be great, keep pushing forward, and we'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.